Would you please turn with me to your study outline? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, hundreds, sometimes thousands of you that join us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. And what we're doing is going through the seven churches of Revelation as found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And we'll put the map up there, and Jesus speaks to them in kind of a clockwise fashion. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Eric uh, started us off with Ephesus, a church that had lost its first love. And by the way, uh, we had you pray. We all prayed together for Pastor Eric last Sunday. He was speaking at Hume Lake to 500 junior hires, and 20 of those junior hires made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ this past week. So thank you so much for praying uh, for that. We talked about Smyrna, which was the church that was going through an intense time of suffering that Jesus encouraged to hang in there. We talked about Pergamum, which was a church that compromised the truth. Last Sunday, I talked about Thyatira, which was a church, and normally tolerance is a very good word, but in this uh, particular church, it had become a bad thing rather than a good thing. And today, we're going to talk about Sardis, the church that looked alive but was dead. Now, let me encourage you, if we could go back to the map for a second, hang with me today because most of what Jesus says to the church at Sardis is not good. It's almost all challenge and very little encouragement. Now, hang in there because next Sunday, we're going to talk about Philadelphia, and it's almost all encouragement. The two churches that had nothing but encouragement were Smyrna and Philadelphia. The ones that had almost all negative were Sardis and Laodicea. So this one's going to be a hard one. But then we'll get through that to the encouraging letter uh, to those in Philadelphia next Sunday. Uh, Sardis, the church that looked alive uh, but was actually dead. Uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, tells the five marks of a dead church. He says, a dead church worships its past. It's always about the way we were. Uh, number two is the absence of children and youth. Only a small number of both are there. We always love to say at Purpose Church that about 20% of our church family is children and youth. But they're 20% of our present, but they're 100% of our future. Uh, kids and, and, and youth, you add them all together, it's about 20% of our church family. But, but meeting in all the ministries and the children's ministries that are going on right now all across campus, uh, that's just a small percentage of our church, but they are 100% of our future. Number three, among the leadership, there is inflexibility and resistance to change. Number four, there's a lack of evangelistic fervor. Our, our focus becomes inward rather than outward and missionary zeal and support for world missions. And then number five, the, five, the fifth characteristic of a dead church is carnal and lazy leadership. Leadership is shot through with the sins of the flesh and they are covered up with hypocrisy and with pride. Uh, Richard Baxter, in 1656, wrote a classic called The Reformed Pastor. And it was mainly addressed to pastors, but really it applies to all followers of Christ. He said, Take heed to yourself, lest you should be void of that saving grace of God, which you offer to others, and be strangers to the effectual working of that gospel for which you preach. And lest while you proclaim the necessity of a Savior to the world, your heart should neglect Him, and you should miss His saving benefits." Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish while you call on others to take heed of perishing, and lest you famish yourselves while you prepare their food. And so whatever our calling in life, our number one identity is as a follower of Christ. We are a Christ follower. The number one thing in our life is we are following Jesus. 
And so this is really going to give us a spiritual CPR when we feel dead in our faith or when we uh, begin, a church begins to move towards deadness, uh, spiritual CPR, how to come back from the dead. And he's talking about it here in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's pick it up now uh, with verse 1. Uh, to the church in Sardis, to the angel of the church in Sardis, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God. Uh, seven is the perfect number. We believe this applies to the Holy Spirit. And so he's talking about the Trinity here, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the seven stars, we saw in an earlier part of Revelation, that the seven stars are either the guardian angels over each church or the pastors, the leadership of each church, that this message is given to them, and then they're to share that with the church. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now Sardis was at the junction of five roads there in ancient Turkey. And it had a very strategic position along the trade routes between Mesopotamia, which is where Asia and Africa come together, where the gospel was birthed, and the European markets of Greece and the other European countries. So it was right at a juncture of five trade routes, five routes right between those two major markets, kind of like Los Angeles is kind of between the Asian markets and those of North America. And if Ephesus is kind of the New York City of ancient Turkey, and if Pergamum was uh, Washington, D.C. of ancient Turkey, then maybe we could say that Sardis is the Los Angeles of the ancient world of that particular Roman province of Asia. Uh, it was a tremendous commercial city and very, very wealthy. I mean, how many of you are involved in business? Let me, let me see your hands. How many of you have worked in any kind of business? Well, I tell you, it was easy to make money in Sardis. It was as easy as falling off a log. Uh, they were wealthy, and it was very easy uh, to, to make money. As a matter of fact, uh, one of the kings of Sardis was named Crescius. And so for years, how many of you, have anybody heard the phrase, because it's kind of out of usage now, as rich as Crescious? Anybody hear uh, that one? Okay, nobody, these are, a lot of people at 830 had remembered that one, <laughs> rich as Crescious. And it's kind of like saying as rich as Bill Gates, all right? But it lasted for 2,500 years. Uh, he was so wealthy that it lasted for 2,500 years. It's only now just kind of falling out of usage to be richer than Crescious or, or as rich as Crescious. Now, it's easy wealth made for loose living in immorality. And so it kind of had this laid back, money's easy, which led to kind of loose living and led to very immoral lifestyles. It was known for its immorality in the ancient world. Another thing, it was, it was built on a hill that was so steep that its defenses seemed impregnable. This is the citadel that the people would all run to when an enemy would attack. And they just thought, you know what, nobody's going to get us at the top of this. And it led to pride. They're like, man, we are, we are so wealthy, and, we, and nobody's going to take it from us. Uh, we, we are just got it all together. And so the church began to reflect this as well. Uh, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't talk here about any persecution like he did for some of the other churches. He doesn't even talk about any false teaching or heresies like he does the other churches. Their problem in Sardis, uh, the church, seemed, their problem seemed to be that they were lazy like their city. Their city was laid back and loose, and the church at Sardis was kind of laid back and loose. G.B. Caird writes, Content with mediocrity, they lacked the depth of conviction which provoked intolerance. It was too innocuous of a church to be worth persecuting. Oh, my goodness. Dear God, deliver us from that. They were such a boring church. 
They were so comfortable, they had kind of settled in and made peace with the secular culture around them. They, they looked so much the same as anybody else in Sardis that nobody bothered persecuting them because it didn't seem like they were different than any of the rest of the people within the city. Now, another thing about the church of Sardis that's interesting is they had a major earthquake in 17 A.D., now, they rebuilt it because everybody wanted to reinvest in Sardis. Uh, Emperor, uh, Roman Emperor Tiberius at the time gave them a lot of money to rebuild because everybody wanted to invest in Sardis. But they, they rebuilt it, but their glory days were always in the past. And so the church kind of had the same attitude. This church was all about the glory days of the past. The church was all about uh, just kind of laid back, fitting in, uh, living loose, and, and, and prideful. And so in verse 2, Jesus says to them, wake up, strengthen what remains. Kind of like a campfire, although I guess that's an insensitive analogy for summer in Southern California. So how about a fire in the fireplace in the middle of winter, and it's been raining for five days. Okay, let's say that. And, um, and, and you go to a fire in your fireplace, and it looks dead, and there's nothing there, and then you stir it up a little bit, and then you blow on it a little bit, and it bursts into flame. And so the good news is there was something that still remained in that church. There was still something there that could be strengthened, that could be stirred up. And so he says, stir the fire up again. Strengthen what remains as it is about to die. For I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Now this could refer to the number of deeds that they did. But most likely in the original Greek and the context here, it means the quality. Not the quantity of their deeds, but the quality of their deeds. And the Bible says that deeds that are acceptable to Christ are characterized by love, by faithfulness, by perseverance, by obeying Jesus and not denying his name. Okay, verse 3 goes on to say, remember therefore what you've received and heard. Think back. I mean, there's one sense in which you look back to the good old days and that's not good. But in your faith, it's a good thing to remember how on fire for Jesus you were at the beginning. Remember what you were first taught. Remember when you first came to Christ. Remember, read the Bible as if it's the first time you've ever read it and received it and heard it. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. Now, some people think this means the second coming of Christ, but most likely in, in context, and there are other places in the Bible where Jesus says, I'm going to come back like a thief in the night. But here, most likely, it's talking about judgment, and we don't know what judgment that is going to take, what form that's going to take. It could be that Jesus says, I'm going to come and close your church down. Your church's days will be over, and, and you'll be finished. So maybe that judgment is that Jesus is going to close the church down. I'll come like a thief, and you will not know at what time uh, that I will come to you. And so he says, look, take God's word seriously. Read it as if it's the first time we've read it. Take it seriously. Let's not get comfortable with it in order to avoid um, Jesus having to deal with us as he dealt with the church at Sardis. Uh, now verse 4, yet, that's always a good word, isn't it? Don't you love the word but in the Bible? For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Don't you love those little, those little words? Well, here's a good word. Yet, you have a few people. God always has a remnant. No matter how hard things get, in, in history, in a particular nation or whatever, for, with regard to the gospel. He always, he always has a remnant that he can fan into flame. 
You know, we often think that, you know, in the United States, in the early days, everybody was on fire for Jesus. Do you know that just before the American Revolution, there were hardly any Christians? You couldn't, you couldn't find a Christian hardly on a campus in America at that particular time. And then this thing called the Great Revival took place with George Whitfield and, and, and preaching across the pulpits of America. And there was a revival that took place. And so no matter how hard things get, Yet there's always a remnant. I have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Okay. There's a picture in Scripture to have dirty clothes, to have soiled, stained clothes is a picture of, of sin. And so he says, they will walk with me dressed in white uh, because they, they are worthy. Now the wool industry was very big in Sardis. And so they wanted to protect their reputation. And you know how when you go to a dentist... Everybody that works in a dentist's office has great teeth. Have you ever noticed that? I just, everybody has great teeth because they've gotten all the dental work they can because the dentist doesn't want, they want that image. They want to protect their image that we have good teeth here, the people that are working on you. You don't want somebody working on your teeth that doesn't have great teeth. And so they, they kind of keep that up. Well, the same thing was true of the wool industry in Sardis. Do you know that archaeologists have actually found inscriptions that say if you get caught with dirty or soiled clothes, they would take your name off the citizenship roster for the city. So you'd get your name removed as a citizen of Sardis if you had soiled uh, clothes. Um, I remember, I think about the last time my parents ever spanked me. Okay, last, about the last time. I was like 19 or 20 or something like that. And so, <laughs> not the last time they spanked me. And, um, no, I think I was 8 or 9 or something. I don't remember how old I was. But they'd given me a brand new white jacket. Brand new white jacket. And when it came time to play baseball, you know how you offer up your jacket to serve as a base? And I gave them my jacket for second base. This is so burned in my mind. It wasn't first base. It wasn't third base. It wasn't home. It was second base. That's how I remember. And I, so I brought home this jacket. It was just beautiful white jacket, just you know, torn to shreds and, and stained and soiled. Well, like I said, it represents sin in the Bible. And so to be dressed in white means to be justified. By Christ, to me, by his death on the cross, by his resurrection, to, to, to walk in white is to be, to be justified. That's why it's traditional in churches, and it's not a legalistic thing, and we're not legalistic about it here, but it's kind of traditional through church history that when you get baptized, you get baptized in white. And it's kind of funny, because here, I think our baptism t-shirts are light blue or something like that. that say, I was baptized on purpose or whatever it says. And so, uh, but, but much of the time, you know, our baptismal robes are white. I'll often say to guys, hey, if you, if you got a white t-shirt, wear a white t-shirt. And it's not anything, you know, legalistic, and we're not disobeying God's word if we don't do it. But um, it's kind of traditional through church history around the world. You'll see this, to be baptized in white to symbolize uh, the cleansing of Christ. He says in verse 5, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. In ancient cities, the names of citizens, when you were born into that city, were inscribed and registered in the city registry until their death. And then when you died, your names were erased out of the book of the living for that city. And Jesus says, if I put my, your name in my book, I will never blot it out. 
He says, there's the first death. Remember we said, saw a week or two ago, he says, you don't have to be afraid anymore of the second death. We all go through, unless Jesus returns, we go through the first death. But he says, you don't have to be afraid of the second death. He says, it, it will never be blotted out for all of eternity. Also, because of persecution in the Roman Empire, sometimes if Christians were persecuted and, and they were recognized as Christians, their name would be blotted out of the registry for that particular city. And so Jesus says, in this world, you may have your name blotted out. But when, I, when you stand before me I, for eternity, your name will never, ever be blotted out. And there's a very strong Greek word here for acknowledge. It's homologio, which is a very strong word. It means a confession before the courts. It means that Jesus will someday stand before the courts of heaven. They stand before the universe and acknowledge our name and say, this one is mine. And he or she will never be blotted out of my book of life. And all God's family said, amen. Verse 6, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right gone through it verse by verse. Now let's go back and let's just look at five commands and then we're going to look at three promises. Uh, first of all, five uh, commands. Uh, commands for how to come back from the dead. Spiritual CPR. You ever take a CPR class? You got kind of those steps to do in, in CPR. Well, these are five CPR uh, uh, steps to take in order to come back from the dead. First one he says is, is to wake up. Now this would have really resonated with the people in Sardis. Because as I mentioned, they had this uh, city that had these very steep walls. And the only time they ever got invaded and conquered in history is when they got lax and didn't put anybody on guard duty. Whenever they had somebody watching, somebody on guard duty, they never fell. The only times they fell in history was when they got lax in, in putting a guard out there. Um, there's one story uh, from history when Cyrus the Great, uh, the king of Persia, came in 546 B.C., According to the Greek historian Herodotus, uh, he made a challenge and offered a huge money reward for anybody that could figure out how to get up to this citadel right here. If you can figure it out, he's going to give you big money. So according to Herodotus, there was a, a soldier, a Persian soldier, Hierodes, and he just went and hid himself at the base of this citadel, and he just sat there in hiding all day long and just stared at it and tried to think of a way to get over it. And while he was there, a, a, a Sardian, a soldier from Sardis, looked over the, the edge of the wall, and his helmet fell off. And if any of you have been in the military, you know you're in big trouble if you lose equipment. And so he looked both ways, nobody was looking, so he comes down a secret path that only the people in Sardis knew. Gets his helmet, looks both ways, goes back up it. And Herodias saw this. And so he goes to Cyrus, and, and that night he leads, uh, Herodes leads a group of Persian soldiers up this secret pathway, and they conquer Sardis. And so he says, wake up, and this would have resonated uh, because of the history of the people uh, and there and, and in Sardis. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. 
And then number two, strengthen what remains. Uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. There's some training in the Christian life that will make you strong, that will strengthen you, and some that will not. Uh, sometimes we're just lax and we're lazy, and that doesn't strengthen us. But he says, train for your following after Christ. Uh, strengthen what remains. There's some spiritual training that, that strengthens you and some that doesn't. There's physical training that strengthens you and some that doesn't. And so you strengthen what remains. You wake up, you strengthen what remains, and then you remember. Okay, You remember how you were in love with Jesus at the beginning. You remember what you were taught at the beginning. Uh, Jesus said in Luke 22, verse 19, he took the bread, this during the Lord's Supper, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's why we have the Lord's Supper on a regular basis because we want to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross and remember how we came first to him and, and remember how we felt and how we obeyed the first time that we read God's word. And then number four, hold it fast. Hold it fast. That means obey him and hold on to him even when times are hard. And you know what? This may be the reason why you're here this morning or you're watching online. It's because you're going through something right now. And, and God just invited you here this morning just to hear this one phrase. Hold it fast. You hang in there even when it seems impossible. Obey even when it's hard, yeah, obey. Training in, in, in righteousness and studying God's word and worshiping and serving God and sharing Christ with others. Hold it fast. When you're going through a hard time, hang on to Jesus, even when it seems impossible. I love the old TV series, Mission Impossible. How many of you remember Mission Impossible, the old one? And, uh, and then the new movies, I, I just love those. We watch them on Clearplay, I want you to know. I love the new ones. And uh, the, i tell you the reason I love Mission Impossible, and this may be corny, but it works for me. You know, I just kind of feel like it's a great picture of following Jesus, I mean, following Jesus just seems like Mission Impossible. And the thing I love about following Jesus, following Jesus is such an adventure. I mean, I'm telling you, like hardly a week goes by that I don't see something that, that seemed impossible that worked out in the end. Uh, and, and, and at least sometimes once a day, on a regular basis, when you follow Jesus, it is such an adventure. It is Mission Impossible. But, but that Mission Impossible you begin to see God work, and it just like works out time after time after time. And, and you can just see that. And so when I watch Mission Impossible, I love to pretend that I'm Tom Cruise. That's, that's what I love to do, which I, I know the reason you're laughing is because I'm delusional right now. I want you to know I never get mistaken for Tom Cruise. The only celebrity I ever get mistaken for is John Lithgow. This is the one that people... <laughs> I, I've gotten this my whole life, and, and then we got the old version, that was when I was young, and now I get the old version, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, Lord, why couldn't it have been Tom Cruise? Why'd it have to be John Lithgow? And, and I don't know if this is true at all, but I have this hope that in heaven you get to pick your resurrection body. You get to pick. And so just so you'll recognize me in heaven, just so you won't be mistaken, you'll come up and say, hi, this is what I'm going to look like in heaven, right, right here. That, that, that. <laughs> That's me in heaven, all right? And, and I've already prepared another picture. Pete, I want to show this one again. That it, I know at the 1111 service, Kimberly is going to sit right there, and when I show Tom Cruise, she's going to go like this. 
So I'm going to get her. I'm going to show this one here. How about this one? And she's going to go, Hugh Jackman. No on Tom Cruise. Yes on, on, on Hugh Jackman. Uh, and, and so I love to pretend that because I just see God work Mission Impossible all the time. And I bet you do as well. You do as well. And the closer you follow Jesus, the more you see it happen. But, you know, Kimberly and I, we, we joke with each other. After 171 TV episodes of Mission Impossible, after six movies, we're beginning to think they should change the name from Mission Impossible to Mission It Will Probably Work Out in the End. Right? Like Princess Bride, inconceivable. This word inconceivable, I do not think it means what you think it means. Uh, this word impossible, uh, you know, not, not mission impossible, but mission it will probably work out. Our daughter, Rebecca, see with Kimberly, whenever a new movie comes out, I make Kimberly and us watch all the previous ones in that series before we can watch the new ones. And Kimberly just loves this about me. She just is uh, into it just as much as me. It's so much fun. So we have to watch all the Mission Impossibles, and by the time we finish watching them, <laughs> it'll be out of the theater and into Netflix so we can watch it on Clear Play. And so at, at any rate, just make, make her watch all the ones. So the other night, we're watching Mission Impossible 3, and Rebecca, our daughter, is sitting, and she's never watched one ever before, and it was hilarious. She must have said 20 or 30 times, oh, no, oh, no, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is about to die, oh, no. We're like, honey, he's the star of number six, so, you know, I, 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 not gonna. so Kimberly and I just kind of look at each other, and we just kind of laugh. We just, we had such a kick out of it. Oh, no, and we're like, no, it's not Mission Impossible. It's Mission probably going to work out in the end, you know. Oh, no, Tom Cruise is hanging on to a jet. He's going to fall off. No, it'll probably work out in the end. Oh, no, Tom Cruise is hanging on to a, a building. No, it'll probably work out in the end. Oh, no, Tom Cruise is hanging off of a cliff. No, no, it'll probably work out in the end. And, and this is one of the great things about following Jesus through the years is that when you're first, you're young and you're first following Jesus, there are a lot of moments where I'm like, oh no, we're doomed. Jesus fell off his throne last night. Oh my goodness, no, no, oh no. But you know what happens as life goes on following Jesus? Mission Impossible becomes, you know what? It's probably going to work out. About 90% of the time in your lifetime, you see it over the years, sometimes just over days, it, it works out. Now there's about 10% or 1% or whatever that's only going to work out in heaven. But I promise you, I promise you, whatever is the mission impossible in your life right now, God is going to work that thing out in the end. And I pray it soon rather than later. I pray it's in this lifetime. But I promise you in heaven, uh, mission impossible will be mission. It did work out according to God's plan in the end. And then he says, repent. And we use the car analogy that when Jesus comes into your life, you give him the wheel and you get in the passenger seat, but we keep taking the steering wheel away from him, right? We talked about that a Sunday or two ago. We keep shoving him back to the passenger side, and we take the steering wheel. And so he says, repent. Give Jesus a steering wheel once again. Hold it fast. Remember, strengthen what remains, um, and wake up. And then let's just uh, wrap up before we have some worship with three promises. Number one, they will walk with me. Is that the best promise? We get to walk through life with Jesus. I was just praying for a couple in our church, and it looks like it's a really tough cancer diagnosis. And, and I was just saying to them, you know, boy, for this we have Jesus. 
Life is hard enough with Jesus. I can't imagine walking through it without him. How hard that must be. And so he says in Revelation 7, he says, Then one of the elders asked me, These people in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And then I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb, Jesus, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them. He will walk with them. We will walk with him to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow. Number two, I'll never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. Do you want to know before you leave here in a few minutes that your name is written in that book and will never be blotted out? If you look in front of you there in the book rack, you're going to see a card that says resource on it. And if you're watching online, it's going to appear up behind me here on the screen. How to become a follower of Jesus. First of all, A, you admit your condition before God. Uh, Lord, I, I, I've sinned. I've, I've, I've done, said things I shouldn't have said and done things I shouldn't have done, thought things I shouldn't have thought. Haven't loved people the way I should love them. Haven't cared for the injustice in the world. Haven't cared about hungry people like I should care. Lord, I have sinned and I fall short of your perfect standards. Number two, you see Jesus, believe Jesus is that a solution to that. The result of our sin is the first death and the second death. Spiritual death, physical death and spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then number three, you choose to follow Christ. You ask Jesus to write your name in his book uh, Jesus said, I tell you, whoever hears my word, which we've been doing, and he believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. Isn't that awesome? God will not judge us. But we've crossed over from death to life. We've walked on the bridge of the cross of Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. We, we've had our name written in his book. You can have that happen right now. You're not here by accident. You're not watching online by accident. You are here for this moment. And so I invite you to pray silently as I pray out loud. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to earth. I believe Jesus was who he said he was and proved it by rising from death. I want to discover and begin following your plan and purpose for my life. I want to get to know you personally. Thank you, Jesus Christ, for dying for me and forgiving all my sins. Right here, right now, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for writing my name in your book of life. Thank you for your free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen. Have you prayed that prayer? Our prayer room is going to be open after the service, and, and they would love to talk to you about your decision to follow Christ. Now, as the praise band, oh, they're already up, so let me just give you one final one before we sing. And I do want to take time for a closing song. I went long, so sorry. Um, uh, but we're still going to do that final song. Uh, um, 
I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. In, in Matthew 10, verse 32, Jesus said, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And the way we acknowledge him before others is baptism. And so if you've never been baptized in a few weeks, let's do that. Let's, let's take that step. You can receive Jesus in a quiet moment like we just had. But eventually you've got to go public. And that can mean in front of a few people. It can mean in front of a lot of people. It's not how many people are involved. It, it, it's just that you, you're willing to, to go public with the people that are, are immediately around you, that you want to follow him. And so if you've never taken the step of baptism, why not change your afternoon plans and come back at 1230 and get a free lunch and we'll share what the Bible teaches about baptism. If you're not able to do that, talk to one of the people in the prayer room and uh, we'll have you connected with a pastor sometime uh, when it works out uh, for you. Uh, let's stand together and let's worship for a few more minutes uh, before we finish. <laughs>